0: Thank you, Weinler's community group. Appreciate that. <clears throat> As they were singing, just in light of our, our service uh, so far, a lot of thoughts going on in my head. And, um, you know, here we, we just sang a song. We, we uh, lifted our hearts with joy and our minds were brought to... This concept of God and joy to the world, and there's a lot to be joyful for. And yet before that, we heard a very heartfelt testimony from Yannica about burdens that she carries. And and as she was sharing, I was looking at the Kleenex box, and I'm thinking, would it be an interruption to get her Kleenex? Uh, She's pouring her heart out here and just just bringing these two things together you know what is this place where somebody can come and and feel safe enough to just share their hearts and cry right in front of a whole congregation and what is this place where a group of uh, a little community group can come together and just express their great glory and joy to god it's it's called the church it's this thing that god's doing uh, on earth it's this thing that god's doing in the midst of a of a world that's under the curse and of evil and sin, and he is bringing the light into the darkness. and we get to just thirty minutes into uh, yeah, thirty minutes into our, our service. we've just already experienced the presence of God and the faithfulness of God and what a joy it is uh, to be in a place that we can't express our sorrows on one second and yet in the other second, uh, just thank God and, and, and rejoice. In his salvation, Um, we are in the right place this morning and I appreciate you being here and we're going to continue to worship the Lord and apply ourselves to God's word. Um, We this is communion Sunday, so we're going to hear a message of um, a psalm called I guess I call it God tunes because these are worship songs that were penned by David and other psalmists as offerings to God words that were penned with the intention of being sung to God. And we are in Psalm 19 this morning. That's where we will be camped. And Psalm 19 is a psalm about specifically about the law of God, the law of the Lord. And last Communion Sunday, I kind of just harped or drew out one theme in this psalm, and that was the idea of one rule, because in in verses 7 through um, 11... David talks about God's Word being altogether righteous. And we drew that idea into the concept or the truth that it is God's Word, God's commandments, that is the one rule for all humanity. It is the truth of truths, if you will, the standard of all standards, the authority of all authorities. Every other concept, rule, code of moral conduct is accountable to the one rule of God and his commandments. Um, Last week, Sam, by the way, thank you for those that volunteered to share their testimonies during our share service. We were encouraged and edified, as I knew we would be, as we get to hear again what God is doing in our lives. Uh, We do have a time for praise and prayer during our service, but this was a specific time where we were challenged to think through what God has done in our lives. And, Lord, is this something that we need to hear as a body? Is this something I can bring glory to you by sharing with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And the volunteers came forward and did that, and we really appreciate that. It was interesting to see the different areas that God is at work in our lives. But Sam quoted John Stone Street from Breakpoint, who introduced us to the new Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year post Truth, And that is kind of the cultural direction that we're headed in, this idea of um, post-truth. In other words, becoming a culture that holds feelings in higher regard than facts and reality. Personal likes and dislikes are becoming uh, the authority of culture and the authority of politics as we are witnessing things unfold. Before our before our eyes with this election and the politics that we're faced with today. But the Bible teaches that it's God's word is is truth, that God's word is the absolute standard by which all good is measured. And so that's what we hold in our hands this timeless, these timeless authoritative principles that offer us blessings, depending on how we engage with it or curses, depending on how. We engage with it. As I read Psalm 19 through and through many times, I realized there, there's a sense in which, if you think about it, David is actually tracking the law of God in the way that mankind engages with it. Uh, the law of God has plays different roles in our lives. In different stages in our lives, you know, sometimes uh, we love it. Sometimes it's prickly to us. Sometimes we we think we know it, but we don't. Other times it confuses us. Uh, There's times where it offers tremendous guidance. And so uh, there's times where it, it, it picks out our scabs, so to speak, and then other times where we just couldn't be more encouraged and comforted by it. So there's just just different stages of our lives. The law plays a different role, and he kind of tracks that, I think, in the psalm. So that's what we're going to. That's the direction that we're headed in. This morning, but it, it plays different roles in our life, and it's not because God changes. God's word is timeless and God is immutable, but it's because we change. And the intent of God's word is that it would bring forth change in us. So just kind of as a precursory question or application, you know, where are you in relation to the word of God today? And is it changing you? And is it changing you in the right direction? And what effect is it having on us. And that's the question that I'll even close with that question. Where are we in relation to God's law? What place does it hold in our lives today? Does it, does it hold the place of prominence that we should? Are we wrestling with it properly? Um, and we can't just assume that just because we have the Word of God, or maybe even enjoy reading it, that it plays the proper role in our lives. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had the Word of God. They had access to it. They loved the Word of God, but they did not allow it to change them. They did not embrace it as they should have, or as it was intended, and therefore uh, they remained in darkness and they actually remained under its weight and under its the curse of death and under its condemnation. It did not set them free. So, what role is the Word of God playing in our lives this morning? Perhaps God's Word is a little prickly. Perhaps we're not sure what to do it as with it as we read it and as it reads us back. Maybe it's lost its place of prominence. But whatever the case, I'm confident that as we close this morning, if, if we pay attention and if we're open to what the Spirit wants to do, that we will feel uh, at solace. We will feel a sense of relaxation when it when we have or close with this proper intent or purpose of God's law. That is in the role of Believers. So I want to go ahead and read Psalm 19. It's only 14 verses. We'll read all of it this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my God, my rock, my redeemer. Well, last time we looked at verse 9 and we drew from that the idea of one rule. And it came because the word altogether righteous, that word for righteous, the Hebrew word is, or the root word for that root, uh, word, has to do with a measuring tool, a straight edge. And we explore the idea that if you're going to build something right, if you want it to be plumb and square and true, that you have to use proper measuring t- tools. You know, in life, we like to, uh, to wing things and eye things. Uh, but when you wing things and eye things, you're not ensured that they will turn out properly. And so if you want a sound structure, you've got to use the right measuring tools. God's Word proclaims itself as the right measuring tool to build a life to build a life on a rock, to build a life that is sound and true. And we explore the idea that there's a difference between values and morals, something that uh, we are a little confused about in our culture today. And and values are just based on uh, more subjective grounds. They are things that we personally as individuals hold in great value. And our values can be different because our opinions are different in the things that we put a price tag on different are, are different. But morals are absolute standards. They're things that aren't as as bending and unchanging as values are. And those are the things that we need to really base our values on. Solid morals from God's word. And um, it is the morals that are the proper course that we follow, the proper course of action that we follow in trying to obtain the things that we value. Uh, we can take an improper course to try to get what we value, or we can take a proper course. And it's God's word that guides us in that. And we learned also last week that when we take an improper course, that really what we're doing when we try to treat, cheat life the way God created, really what we're doing is cheating ourselves. Because in the first chapter of Proverbs, where Solomon is giving advice to his children And he says, my son, when sinners entice you and they say, you know, let's go out and cause trouble. Let's have a lot of fun. Let's steal things and rob people and hurt people because it'll bring so much joy to us. He says, what you're really doing is you're shedding your own blood. You're plundering your own soul. You're cheating yourself. Now, why would he say that? Because God, because of God's word, because the way things are created Uh, We can't get away with lying because God's a truth teller and he created everything. We can't get away with cheating one another. All these things catch up to us because God is pure, because God is holy. So kind of because God uh, is an answer to many, many things. So what I want to do in light of that is um, just follow I guess, track David's thoughts regarding the law of God. And the first thing that he brings to our attention is creation. It's the voice of God through creation. And I won't go back and read all of it, but it's the first six verses. And he is saying that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. That creation has a lot to say and is not bashful at all regarding the, the grandeur, the beauty, the majesty of of God uh, it, it proclaims his handiworks day to day pours out speech their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world so from the east to west north to south there's this message day and night that is going out that God is glorious God is glorious God is glorious and how can that be it's because when we think about this world and its intricacies, and its beauty, and its grandeur, that it, we find it difficult not to attach it to a personal deity or being of some kind, and so we, we look at its majesty and we and we think, wow, what is behind all of this? That's the idea that the creation is communicating uh, the nature of God and the and the character of God. So. The, the beauty that we're surrounded with makes draws our attention to there must be a beautiful creator and and the, the how well it's calculated and it operates the sun and the degrees. And, of course, later on, we found out the tilt of the axis and so forth. And uh, by the way, if the earth was just tilted one degree to the left and right more, we, we, we would either burn or freeze. I mean, there's there's just incredible. Um, Knowledge and wisdom built into the things that we witness every day. And so it it causes us to want to be grateful for these things. So it communicates and now communicates not in audible words. This is just a reflection of the image of God that communicates. And there are different forms of communication, right? So you're a parent and you're sitting in the row at church Uh, maybe your child's acting up. So you do one of these, you know, you get, you communicate with a look on your face. You didn't say a word, but all of a sudden they see that and they straighten up. Or you might communicate with a smile, a warm smile an affirmation. Your child knows I'm getting the message loud and clear. It's okay for me to keep doing this. Well, there's a loud and clear message from creation about the creator of his majesty Of his beauty. As a matter of fact, it's so, it's such a marvel, marvel, and it's so clear that the apostle Paul says in Romans that it leaves all man without excuse. That if you deny it, you just don't have any excuse to deny it because it's so obvious. So we might think that um, that if it's so obvious. And it's so easy to connect the dots. Then why does not all mankind connect the dots? Why does not all mankind to ascribe the right God in the right way, the glory that he deserves? Well, for one reason, man has fallen. We don't think clear. We don't see straight. We we live in darkness without the grace of God upon us in the spirit of God. But there's another reason behind that. And the other reason is that creation in and of itself is not sufficient to... Bring us into the chambers of God whereby we know him personally for who he really is. For that, we need words. For that, we need uh, what the scholars would uh, identify as special revelation. So um, creation is a general revelation. We We need God to say more. We need more direction. And that we get from Holy Scripture. So then David moves on from creation, the voice of God uh generally to the voice of God specially in special revelation. You know in this text it's not so obvious. You might think, well, where do you get that in these verses? But in the Hebrew, in the first six verses in describing God, they're using the word Elohim for God. And it's more the generic word for God. It's it's um, how you describe the God who's there, it is the God that we see through creation. He's great. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's some kind of divine being. But we don't necessarily uh, have the presence of mind or, or draw the conclusion that, that uh, we need to worship this particular God in this particular way. And that's why people worship the sun, they worship the moon, or like our culture often does, just Mother Earth. So there's this specific revelation. Elohim describes the great one, the great God who is out there. And he is big and he's strong and he's beautiful. But then, beginning in verse 7, something changes. And the psalmist begins to use a different name for God, and that is Yahweh. See, Yahweh is that personal name of God. Yahweh is the name of God that he gives to us. So that we will relate to him on a more personal basis. It's, it's the name he gives to us so that we will get to know him. And it's because he wants to know us. It's the name that he gave Moses in Exodus 3. When he begins to describe to Moses this great plan of delivering his people from Egypt. And Moses is like, okay, after you try to get out of it. Okay, okay, okay. But who do I say sent me? And that's where he says Yahweh. Tell them Yahweh sent you, the covenant-making God. Because you're my people, and I'm your God. So it kind of goes from uh, Elohim or Mr. Sir to call me Jesus. That's my that's the name that you can address me by. It's more personal. So the wordless speech may cause people to deduce, to deduce that there is a God, but it does not take them right before his throne or into his Chambers, because there's not that proper connection or introduction. That's what the law of God does for us. That's what special revelation does for us, or what I'll call the special voice of God. It gets more specific. As a matter of fact, one way that God's law can be viewed is it's, it's almost like a personal diary of the divine being God, the creator God, because in this, he shares with us his heart, does he not? He shares with us what he's thinking, even what he thinks about us, even what he thinks about this messy world that we've created for ourselves. He tells us about eternity past. He tells us his plan for us in the church and eternity future. I mean, he's telling us what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what pleases him, what doesn't please him, things he loves, things he hates. I mean, this is a very, very powerful, personable specific book and the psalmist says it just drips like honey. And it's like gold, even fine gold, not cheap gold, not fool's gold, but I mean really, really refined stuff. So it's here that we begin to see just how wise he is, how powerful he is, how how personable he is. And we often read it and we're all struck. We're all struck by how incredible God is and how much his words can mean to us and how we read it. And we find that many times God's word answers some of the deepest questions that we have about life. And Kevin talked about having purpose and God can even speak purpose into our lives. We, we can learn about meaning and purpose and significance by reading The law of God. And so that brings us kind of to the second stage that I'm going to call greatness. By the way, I switched the two points from it's terrifying or terribleness and greatness because I couldn't make up my mind which uh, to, to introduce first. But I'm going to switch them around and say the greatness of the Lord. Because the psalmist says, The law of the Lord, it's perfect, it revives the soul. Have you ever felt like your soul needs to be revived? Where do you turn, other than to energy drinks, to revive your soul? But the word of God it has that power, it and 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 it, it, the precepts are right, and they rejoice the heart. Where do we go when we want our heart to feel joy? Hopefully not to the substitutes that the world has to offer, but it can be found in God's word. So when when God calls us to redemption, He enlightens the eyes of our heart. We see our need for Christ, and He brings to us His word, and we. We embrace the God of Scripture. We embrace this word. And and most of us, many of us, if not all of us, just become overjoyed with what we find in God's word. I know for me, I could not get enough of God's word. The the morning after I got saved, um, I was told if I ever gave my life to Christ, read the gospel of John. That came to my mind when I got saved years later. And that's what I did. And I just actually I didn't wait till morning. I read it that night. And I could not get enough of it. I could not believe what Jesus was saying to me. All the things that i had been missing all these years were right there, packed, precious treasures for me. And so we come to this um, God's word and we just love it. And let me just kind of make a connection here that, that ties in with the first point about God's one rule and God's law being universal absolutes. One of the things that we, we really fall in love with regarding God's word are the restrictions we find in it. And we live, and I'll explain that in a second, but we live in a culture that doesn't like restrictions. We live in a culture that bucks the idea of one set of rules, one set of moral absolutes. You want me to be in bondage and enslaved to what you or some other person or some being thinks is the standard for right and wrong, that's, that's uh, not good. That's like being chained to something you don't want to be chained with. What if you don't agree with it? Why would I want to bring my, my view? Isn't it? Shouldn't we just go out into the world and discover right and wrong for ourselves and discover truth for ourselves rather than being in bondage to this set of truths or these beliefs that um, we may not agree with? And have to answer to this higher authority that uh, treats us maybe like a little kid. Uh, so I don't want to be enslaved or in bondage to something that I don't agree with. So that's kind of gets to that. That's what a post-truth culture thinks. But if you think about your life and God's word applied, uh, applied to your life in your conversion experience, one of the things that we love the most about God's word, and to think about it, were the thou shalt nots. The restrictions. Well, why do you say that? Because when we read God's word, we found the things that were bringing the pain and misery into our lives were the areas where we were transgressing boundaries that we shouldn't have. We were trying to cheat the reality of this pure, holy God who created this world and universe for us. We were out of control in some areas. We were trying to get joy or pleasure out of things that were not intended to offer. It. And as a result, we were shipwrecking our lives. We were plundering our own souls. And then we read God's word and we find out, wow, there really is a right way to have a marital relationship. And here's how you treat your wife. And here's how you treat your husband. And I was way out of bounds. And we begin to, we begin to bring God's restrictions on our lives. And we're blessed by it. Well, we say I was way overindulgent in this area and I should have never done it. I, I spent too much money or I got into drugs or I got into to bad relationships and, and my soul was really hurt and destroyed from it. But then I found God's word and it spoke truth and meaning and purpose to me. And I found that I shouldn't be doing this and I shouldn't be doing that. And all of these restrictions just brought great joy to us. As a matter of fact, it started to put the pieces of our lives back together. And we couldn't be more happy to be submissive to these set of rules because they brought such joy and healing into our lives. And so you cannot have real freedom without restrictions. And so God's truth sets us free. But one of the ways it sets us free, one of the ways is by Restricting areas of our lives that need to be strictive, restricted, and then by giving us great freedom in areas where there are no restrictions. Um, there is no law for love, right? We can just love as much as we want as long as it's in the right way. So restrictions in God's word are a good thing and they they create an environment. God's word creates an environment where mankind can thrive the most. Because we were created in the image of God, we were created to function in specific ways, and it is God's word that brings us this atmosphere or environment in which we uh, were created to thrive in, to be blessed in. So it's kind of like you have a pet fish and you got a pet bird and you take the fish out of the tank and you throw them up into the air and you say, be free. And then you, you take your bird and you put him into the fish tank and you put him the on wor- the water and put the lid on it and you say, be Be who you want to be. And and the fish is over there just gasping and flipping and flopping for air. And the bird is bubbles are going up the tank. And it's just a mess. Why? Because you just took them out of their environments. They were created to thrive in specific environments. You take them out of that environment and it's not so good for them. It, it begins to destroy them. It begins to suffocate them and they're gasping. It's not how they're meant to do life. And, and you, if you follow sin and you, you take away the restrictions and we begin to bring ourselves out from under the law of God, that's what we're doing to ourselves. We're suffocating ourselves. We're bringing pain and hurt to our souls. We're bringing destruction to our lives. We destroy every good thing that God brings into our lives if we do not submit it to the word of God. It is the environment, plain and simple, though we may not see it, we may not agree with it, our feelings may not even line up with it. It is the atmosphere of the environment by which we can thrive the most in this world until God comes again and makes it perfect. So um, it's a it's a. A rule for us to live by. You know, just stop and think, where are we with that in relation to God's word? What kind of pain is is in our hearts? It's not always our fault. Um, There there are other people's sins that cause pain in our lives in addition to our own. But where are we in relation to the word of God? Are there areas that we could be thriving and we're not because we are not embracing the strict restrictions that God put in our lives in order that we might be free? In order that we might be blessed. So God's word. The second point was we we experience its greatness in different stages of our spiritual life. But at some point, and maybe even before we are saved, we also have to experience its uh, terribleness. I guess there's such a word. My spell check didn't kick it out. Um, it, it, It needs to be terrifying to us. In some stage of our life, whether before we become Christians, definitely, and maybe sometime during our Christian experience, because we start out saying, I need more of God in my life. I need to get straight. And, and God's word is working wonderful for, for me. I'm going to church. I'm walking in obedience and I'm reading my Bible I'm fellowshipping with the saints. I'm beginning to do the things that God says is good for my soul and I'm thriving. And then you get deeper into it and deeper into it and you're loving it more and then you're starting to read it a little bit below the surface. And then, and then you, you begin to th- realize, well, my life is a lot better, but I don't love God like he tells me to love him. And, and I still have idols in my heart. And I'm, I'm trying to be as obedient as I can, but there's still areas where I just don't want to obey God in this. And, and you're reading this standard of perfection and holiness. And even as a believer, you're seeing, oh, I'm, I'm still messed up. I still have, I still have strongholds. I, I still have areas of my heart as much as I love them and as wonderful as God's word is. There's still part of me that doesn't want to let go. There's still part of me that has all these dark places and secrets and sins in my heart. So you're reading that. And then you're reading where where, where um, we begin to see that we, we fudge with the truth. We do covet. We do have idols. We do lust. We do still get angry and, and blow our lids sometime. And our greatest efforts are not enough. And we see that God's law is perfect and and straight. And we're crooked. And God's love is pure and clean. It's just it's just so clear and our minds are, are confused and compromising. And we begin to think, I'm not as good as I thought I was, and I don't, I can't do this. And see, and it's, it, it's, it's God's word, God's law playing another role in our lives. It's playing the role of showing us, it has to show us how sinful we are. It has to show us how crooked we are. It has to show us that we are moral failures, so then it can show us the way out of that mess by pointing us to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We have to go through that stage or that role and engage in God's word in that way. It has to show us plain and simple that we are sick. We are not well. And we need salvation. We need to repent and be healed. We see this in verses 12 through 13. The psalmist is talking about the Beautiful voice of creation and then uh, the beautiful word of God, special revelation. And it's like he comes to this realization as he's thinking about how awesome God's word is. Uh, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. It's like he's David's flipping out, so to speak, because he's realizing there's still so much junk in his heart. There's things in his heart that he doesn't even know about that. How can I repent of these things that I'm not even sure or clear about yet? There's just still so much there. And he realizes that um, he, he needs to cry out for a redeemer. He wants to be innocent, but he's not. He needs something else to make him innocent. And then again, in verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Now, he's in a loving, saving relationship with God, a faith relationship with God. And he is realizing his heart is not right. Presumption, pride, arrogant, there's compromising in the thoughts with God. And he's saying, I I, I need you to save me and I need you to keep me saved. Keep me back from these, my own heart that without your grace would overtake me, would sink me. Um, So again, it's God's word showing him uh, that in and of ourselves we're we're defiled and altogether Crooked as opposed to God's word, which is altogether righteous. It's that straight edge. So God's word helps us with the tool of a straight edge, puts it up to our heart and shows us that our heart is crooked in comparison to his holiness. And we have to see ourselves as sinners in order to truly be saved. You don't come into the kingdom of God standing straight up with your head held high, disillusioned about our self-righteousness and how good we're doing with, with his commandments. We go in lowly. We go in, in a bowed position. Because we have to realize that we're not deserving. Luke three fifty two. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if we look at God's law... and and we still come away from it thinking we're righteous, we think we're just so obedient, we're doing such a great uh, job at keeping all of these commandments and we're feeling good about ourselves, I got this, then we have not yet come to Christ. That's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We haven't let it change us. We haven't seen it for what it really is. We haven't allowed it to shed light on our hearts for what we really are. If God's Word makes us feel smug, And maybe snub our noses at those who aren't so smug in it. That's the wrong effect. And we're actually still under its curse and under its death and condemnation. We're still under the full weight of it. We haven't been saved. Galatians 3.23, the Apostle Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. Christianity is for those that have this point where they are absolutely overcome by their sins. We have to be overcome by our sins and not delusional about our self-righteousness. And then the apostle goes on to say in verse 24 in Galatians. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So the law serves its purpose to what? Point us to Christ, show us the weight of our sin, point us to our need for the Redeemer. That Redeemer is Christ. So the ultimate goal is for the law not to leave us there, to not leave us in bondage, but to set us free as we uh, place our faith in Jesus Christ. So where you know where are we in relation to? The Law of God. Maybe we're at that stage where it is terrifying to us. that's the that's the law of God picking at our scab, so to speak, where we don't want him to pick anymore. We don't want to see our sin, we don't want him to go there. We want it just to to heal over and he won't let it because it's not right. It's It's crooked, it's a defilement in us. Are we at that stage where we should or maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing into that us that atmosphere where we're just terrified? And we are seeing our need for Christ. I just encourage you, if the Spirit is doing that in your heart, cry out for your Redeemer like the psalmist. Cry out for your Redeemer like others that have through the centuries. Because God sent His Son at the perfect time to be your Savior. Don't leave under the weight and the bondage of the law when you know and you've heard that you can be set free. By the grace of God this morning. The message, the proclamation of the gospel. Is still powerful to save those in need. Or perhaps we're in that role where we just still can't get enough of God's word. We're loving it. It's changing our lives. You know, I still love God's word. Uh, I I had when I first got saved, I kind of did this thing. But then God did something in my heart. I can't take any credit for it. And I absolutely love God's word. Uh, It just astounds me every week. There's not a week that doesn't go by. Where I'm not just astounded by something that is in God's Word. I looked at the royal treasury and our bulletin this morning, by the way. This is a, this is a rabbit trail that I don't have time for. But Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I read that this morning and shivered. So I thought, man, he sees everything. He sees it all and we're accountable to it. What do you do with that? There is no place to hide. And I thought, what nut share that as a scripture of comfort with our body? That does not bring me comfort. But I just was looking at the blood and said, oh, man, talk about feeling naked. Good gracious. So maybe we're at that place where. Uh, we, we love God's law, and I hope we are, and I encourage you to continue to immerse yourself in it and thrive in the atmosphere that it desires to set for you. But here's how I want to close, because there's one more point to cover. And that is, so let's just say uh, you're a believer, you've, you've been terrified by it, you cried out for your Redeemer, it saved you, and you're immersed in the law, and it's changing your life and bringing blessings that you never even dreamed could come into your life. But you've been saved from the curse of it because of Christ. Christ, um, he lived it righteously that we could not do. He lived the life of obedience that we could not live for us. And then he died the death that we deserved for us. So it, it, it doesn't have its sting anymore. So what do we do with it? What purpose does it have in our lives for you and I, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, there's another way to look at the law. There's another purpose for it. And. That is, that it is a way for us to know and love God. I'm not telling you anything new, but just think about this. Now we read the commandments. We're not cursed by them. We can thrive in them. So what place do they hold in our lives? Well, it is a way for us to continue to know and love God and to express our love to God. Galatians, he goes on to say, when the time had fully come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. So now we live the law as sons of God. So what does that look like? Jesus says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who who loves me and who he who loves me will also be loved by my father. Obedience is, according to Jesus, has a lot to do with our love. So we now, we look at the law of God and we read it and we know it reflects his character. And we know that it, is, it brings pleasure to our lives if we're obedient to it, because there's this built in blessing to it. But we also now know that obedience to God's law pleases the one we say we love. And so by obeying God's love, we can offer him expressions of love. The law is a way to offer God pleasure, our obedience to it, so it no longer has the, the, the punishment behind it. It's a way for us to pleasure him. I like what uh, Philip, not um, Timothy Keller said. He says, you find there's a pleasure in giving, talking about a marital relationship, you find there's a pleasure in giving her pleasure, which is even greater than the unpleasantness of the task. And you find, therefore, as you do it, you change. Now, that makes sense. In other words, yeah, this isn't like the on the top of me. This is not something that I like to do personally, but I really love this person. So, yeah, I'm going to do it because it brings them great pleasure. That is a... Uh, a sign of love. He says, here's how you know when you're in love. You know you're in love when the pleasure of giving pleasure is the greatest. of Is a greater pleasure than receiving pleasure. That's how you really know you're in love. When the pleasure of giving pleasure is even greater than receiving pleasure. That's a good mark. So here's, I'm going to close with another quote. And then we will uh, worship the Lord and commune with our living God. He says, why should you obey the Ten Commandments? Why should you confess your sins? Why should you wrestle like crazy to be as holy as you can be in every part of your life? Not to get to heaven, but because you want to know him better. The law of God is a list of things that give him delight. The purpose of the law is so you can know him more intimately. The purpose of the law is to get the pleasure of giving pleasure, which is the greatest pleasure there is. Isn't that a different way? Maybe a needed, remindful way of looking at the law for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So simply put, as Christians, the law doesn't crush us. It's not this big book that's heavy on our chest that suffocates us. And it's it's not um, stepping stones to work your way with self-righteousness into the heavens. It's an opportunity to show God love, to, to pleasure God with our willful free obedience and choices that we make and it's also a way to know him so that we can receive more of his love and know him as father so we've tracked i think David's thinking regarding the law of of the lord and may we thrive in its pleasantness this morning And as we come and sing our worship songs and then communion with God, may the spirit just continue to create this environment where the people of God can be blessed and where our hearts desire nothing more than to bless the living God. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning.